Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're on Long Final, Ireland's aviation podcast from Squawk 7000. On this week's Long Final, our guest has experienced success as a professional athlete playing senior rugby throughout the 1990s. His rugby career with Leinster and Ireland straddled the amateur and professional eras. And this is Costello. Runs into his opposite number. Gary Teisman knocked him over as if he wasn't there. Victor Costello was part of the Irish team at the 2003 Rugby World Cup. A former five-time Irish shot putt champion, he took part in the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. And that was followed by a career as a professional pilot flying the Boeing 737. Well, he's now set up an Irish flying school in Florida, Global Flight Training Solutions, which offers our building packages for pilots from around the world. Victor joins me now from his home for this week's episode. Victor, welcome to Squawk 7000. Set the location for us. Where are you? I'm in New York at the moment. We're based in New York. I travel back and forth to Florida from here. We used to travel forward, back and forth to Dublin, uh, but obviously that's been knocked in the head for the last year. So, uh, yeah, but Florida, you know, back and forth to Florida in the East Coast of America is quite easy to do, even in a pandemic. We, we commute every two weeks. And, and in doing so, of course, we, we should share with people that uh, you're giving people an opportunity to build hours and build time. And for people who aren't really sure about what that process is, uh, if somebody is training for a commercial pilot's license, they get a basic amount of training. And then what happens? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm an airline pilot myself, eight, eight years in Ryanair, and I think most airline pilots will tell you that they get asked daily, monthly, weekly, how to become a pilot. So, you know, if you ask five airline pilots how to become a pilot, you'll get five different answers. So everyone's trying to make things as accessible and easy and efficient and cost efficient as, a po- as possible. So we started a flight school down in Florida for many reasons, um, mainly to attract European air builders because of the weather, but also because mainly, Michael, you know, a lot of flight schools in the UK and Ireland struggle with relationships with the county and restrictions and regulation, whereas our relationship with the government is very, very, very strong. We've got two wonderful runways and we've got a lot of, a lot of accessibility that you wouldn't normally get. So more like yourself I did my air building in Florida a lot of my training in Florida so that's kind of where I went back to and when, uh, when it came to setting up a flight school your journey to flying uh, was it a, a, a straightforward process for you was it always on the agenda for you it wasn't actually um I played professional sports for 10 years and I was always that guy who was on the aisle seat because I'm six foot five and then that allowed me to kind of diagonally lean over to see what those dials were doing and who was pressing what button and uh, that always intrigued me you know obviously people walking down the aisles got in the way and I got the odd clobber from teammates but it always intrigued me I wasn't allowed to tell anyone but it intrigued me as to what those you know altimeters meant and why was it sideways and what, what was that button? What was that screen for as, as things developed in avionics? So, uh, yeah, I was probably traveling for sport from the 80s all the way through to, to the mid noughties. So that's probably the where it initially started. I then, a friend of mine uh, was in Airjet and Welling and I 
started having conversations with him about, you know, obviously the big fear is the physics part and the maths. And funny enough, that wasn't my strong point in school. So once I got over that kind of mental issue, I started practical training and, and it kind of went from there. And, and like everyone else who's a modular student, you, you kind of have to find your own way. Around that time, Michael, it's you're kind of looked on more favorably for an airline if you went into a, an integrated course and got spat out the other end from a reputable college. I think that's changed a lot. I'm sure we might talk about it later on, but I had to find my way uh, myself, like most modular students, you know, to fund it and where was the, the easiest place and the probably cost effective place to do the training and you know, I obviously ended up back up in, in Ireland when I finished off, but I, I started off in Weston, went across America and then ended in Waterford. Where was your first solo? My first solo, actually funny you should ask, is exactly in the airport. We have the flight school today, which is down in Immokalee in Southwest Florida. And, uh, you know, ironically, when I, when I, obviously I'm down there often and I see the same place where my flight instructor was standing with his portable radio uh, telling me what to do as I went around the circuit. And the same runway we, we operate out of, same two runways. So it's, it's a, I found myself back there. I wouldn't have known maybe whatever it was 15 years ago, I'd be back there with a flight school and uh, various other aviation-related opportunities. So that's maybe there's something in that. You know? uh, it's, it's, a, it's a nice story and there's a, and there's a good connection. I don't think people ever forget their first flight either on their own. No. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's an amazing experience. I mean, I, I, when I went off my, my first solo, you know, you're thinking of, well, I was thinking of my late father, first of all, how proud he'd be. And then I'm thinking, wow, this aircraft is very light all of a sudden. <laughs> so, <laughs> so lots of things go through your I mind. I tell you that, but, but it doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> exactly. So the, the other thing is, you know, you, as, as you then fly 737s, under time pressure and fuel pressure and every other pressure, weather related, you know, you still never forget that, that, that solo that you first did. And that was the start of it, you know, and how important it is to everyone who, no matter how many hours they have or, or, or want to achieve. And, and you mentioned, of course, at the beginning, and people will know your name from your professional uh, rugby career as well. Was there anything particularly in that transition coming from uh, being a professional sportsman to getting into the world of aviation? Were there anything you brought with you? Very good question. And that kind of evolved through the years I'm out of rugby. When I, when I first uh, went into training, I didn't want to get into an institution. So being a, being a modular, uh, taking a modular route suited me because I didn't want to lock myself away. I'd effectively been locked away for 10 years in professional sport, which was, of course, glamorous. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of sacrifices, right? So I decided to go the modular route after that. And then in terms of progressing my career, I had to rely on the discipline and the competitiveness I got from professional sport to con- constantly push yourself and push yourself and believe in yourself. And of course, all of those traits that you struggled with in professional sport were there, like self-doubt and confidence and so on. Then getting into the airline, that was then a different again. So, you know, I worked for Ryanair for, I think, nigh on seven or eight years. Mm. You know, the discipline there, the early morning starts, it was great. It was, it was such, so rewarding. It was tough, really tough. And, you know, you go from a glamorous sport or discipline where things are kind of handed to you. Now, you know, it's tough. Mm. It's something where you really have to fight your own corner. And the robust nature of Ryanair was a great training ground with the characteristics I got from professional sport, the competitiveness, the being able to deal with pressure, the, the never be late ever. You know, no professional sportsman is ever late because he's letting down his teammates who are actually on the pitch at the time. And it's the same at Ryanair, never a sick day, never, never being late on time all the time. So a lot of disciplines carry through 
And then, you know, but it constantly evolves. So for example, you know, if you're in an airline and you're figuring, you know, you want to get time off or you want to, you know, there's a wedding coming up in a, in a team environment, you'd have someone having your back. Obviously office politics is not in professional sports. So these are things you learn on the fly, but, but certainly, you know, I always maintain professional sport has a lot of, a lot of characteristics that you can carry through into another uh, discipline. But then there's a couple of rude awakenings along the way also. Capture, if you would, uh, for people, particularly for people who mightn't know it, what is it like to have a flight deck as an office? That occasional glimpse you must get sitting there uh, and you look out the window and you go, yeah, this is good. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And uh, flying across Europe, you've got plenty of beautiful views, mainly the Alps. And, you know, after uh, probably even seven or 8,000 hours from the first couple of hours flying 737 to the last couple of hours when I finished up in Ryanair, I always had my camera out traveling across the Alps. It was a, it was a picture that just never, ever got old. Even in the days when I first started, I, there were there were photos that I got pr- printed at the local pharmacy to the iPhone time when I could actually <laughs> upload them and save them and maybe send them to friends or Instagram or whatever the, the cool kids did. So it never got old. You know, sometimes looking at those windows, there was challenges, there was thunderstorms, there was darkness, there was cloud. But on a high-pressure day traveling across Europe, it was very, very satisfying and very rewarding. You know, the only issue is that some, you know, you're above the clouds so often that, um, you know, when you're coming near your days off, you're thinking to yourself, because you're staring at blue sky for, mm. for eight hours, maybe, you're thinking, you know, I might have a barbecue this weekend <laughs> until you land and you figure out it's going to be cloudy for the next four days. So, yeah, there's a <laughs> foot ceiling over your back garden and you're not going anywhere with it at all. You still fly. The hectic days of, of, of the high hours of Ryanair, you know, you miss that. It's, it's like something, you, you know, you wish you were back there. The, the adrenaline of landing an aircraft, uh, 77 full, you know, in, in not so challenging, but some challenging type of wind is always good to keep you, keep you honest. Um, so I miss that part. I'm, I'm currently still rated, so I keep my license. So I'm, I now fly Cessna. So I'm, I'm actually training to be a CFI in a Cessna. I have about three or 400 hours from previous, so I'm trained to be a CFI. So it's a total different animal. You know, I was laughing with a, with a, with a, an, ex, uh, uh, an ex-Reiner guy who was also a very good friend of mine there the other day. And I said, you know, it's easy to do a circle to land in a Cessna because you have all the time in the world to figure it out if it goes wrong. You know, it's the same thing, not so easy to land because it's a lot slower. So it's, it's a different, a different uh, obviously, uh, aircraft, but as rewarding as always when you're into flying out. So we'll talk now about global flight training solutions and, and the idea for this. Do you remember the day? Was it at a, a, a table? Was it a cup of coffee involved? Uh, where, where, where did it start? It started from basically people ask, asking me, where do I train to be pilot? And I knew the restrictions around Europe and particularly, you know, a couple of years ago when there was a pilot uh, shortage, you know, and we believe there still is and will be in the future. I think flight schools were kind of full and it was hard to kind of mentor people through flight schools because they were full. Everyone wants to do it. You're almost guaranteed a job. We kind of looked in various places in Florida, but we wanted to, you know, from, from my years of, of, of being in Ryanair, I, I kind of wanted to keep the costs low and keep the opportunities high. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a nice long lease, low cost lease in an area where we had very much a, a really good relationship with the county of what we were going to do. And, you know, rather being pigeonholed in a kind of group of offices on a, on a, on a more popular uh, airport in, in Florida, 
we were on four, 1,400 acres of land that was airside, and basically we had a blank canvas. So we really looked at where we could go with this as opposed to just being a mom-and-pop flight school. And I guess what we're all about is potential and opportunities, and not just flying, but flying is our core business. So being an Irish flight school in, in America is, is was hard to do. It's not easy. It's a different culture. But we're very proud of the fact that we're Irish and we're in America and we're operating and we're, you know, today we've three or four PPL students out there starting under FAA license and it's busy. It's very busy. But our, our main core business is giving European, UK and Irish uh, modular pilots the opportunity to fly in a kind of freer environment in the sunshine. And, and that's what we're about. Oh, I, you know, people listening to you and, and I having a, this conversation who might be here in Ireland who now probably can't even remain current because of, you know, five kilometre restrictions, etc., might be a little bit envious of the idea that you say there are a couple of students out there now. We better put this in the, in the situation of, of the pandemic. Yeah. So, look, I mean, we've obviously been watching a lot of different. We've been watching two states over here for the last year, Mike. We've watching obviously New York, where we live, Florida, where we operate out of, operate out of. Uh, you probably noticed from reading the papers that those two states, New York and Florida, their governors didn't get on right the way through this this pandemic with the last administration, particularly. That's now kind of uh, a little bit, That's the temperature's gone out of that uh, with the Biden administration. And then, of course, we're Irish, so we're from Dublin. So we, we kind of watch what's going on over there. Mm-hmm. The way we see it for, uh, in the last year, we were, things were pretty bad here in New York in March, April, particularly in the city. But they steadily improved through testing and tracing. Now, I'm not going to start getting into areas I don't really know, but we've had to watch this as a family for personal reasons and also professional. So to answer your question, there's a there's a national interest exemption uh, in the embassies across the Schengen area and the UK and Ireland. And if you fit that, where they believe that you are of national interest to the US to come in and train, they will grant you access. Now, we have not had 100% success with that. We've had probably about 50%. There are other ways of getting into the US via non-Schengen, non-UK and Irish um, countries like Croatia, Dominican Republic, Aruba, Mexico, and so on. And, and to be honest, you know, we take responsibility for pilots and student pilots coming over. So the minute they leave, leave their country of origin, we kind of feel they're part of our family. So that was not really desirable. As things have changed in Ireland now with the lockdowns, that has become more desirable because people are losing time. And particularly with modular pilots, Time is money. They may have you know, mortgages and whatever else. So every week or month that goes by, it costs them. So you can get into the United States. This, this is deemed as essential travel because it's, it's uh, education. But we play by the rules. So we play by the rules in the embassy and we play by the rules by the CDC on the ground with our, with our American students. And we play by the rules of the general pandemic. But as I said, we've had to monitor from two countries, both the US and Ireland, but also the access countries. So it is, of course, tricky, but it can be done. Uh, But from our Global Flight Training Solutions point of view, we take responsibility. We don't just expect people to turn up and off we go. We take responsibility for when they're leaving. For example, you know, they will have a letter from us about what they're going to do with their curriculum. They also will have an FAA uh, license certificate, which they pick up when they come over here to prove that they actually are coming over here to train. So, you know, like everything in aviation, Michael, safety is is huge, compliance is huge, and we don't uh, drop any standard when it comes to people either getting over to the States and obviously flying with us. 
So what's the process then when somebody decides, right, I need to build the time? Because th- there is also something about the quality of the hour building. I mean, buzzing around the same airport for 100 hours isn't necessarily going to maybe impress an interview panel, is it? No, but I think to answer that question, some people that would be on an interview panel, Michael, have seen our welcome pack and they're very impressed. In fact, they actually want to come over. So they, you walked into that one. I did. So basically the, the years of problems for our building particularly has been students come over, they see a nice price and there's no aircraft availability. So what we do is we make sure everyone is rostered and scheduled. So therefore they come over, there's not only an aircraft available for them, but there's also a backup aircraft should there be an issue. So we have a welcome pack that kind of promotes, as you know, in the US, they promote general aviation where they can fly around and see all the sites from over to Titusville to see um, NASA and, and the Kennedy Space Center right across to the, to the north. We also have uh, the, where we are based in the West Coast. There's lots of scenery along the beaches there. So we have a decent welcome pack to get lots of people some great views, some great experience in the sunshine. However, we also have busy airspace nearby us in Fort Myers and also Miami. So we, we, we brief them when they come over as to the do's and don'ts locally, because obviously there are cultural differences. Uh, but we also maintain they have a bit of fun while they're doing it. So we kind of have the best of both worlds. I, I myself had an FAA license and then I got a CA or EASA license. And I find a great benefit from flying in both and having both. When you go back to, the, say, the British air traffic control, where things are a little bit tricky or busier, it's a bit of a rude awakening, but it's also good if you come from that environment in the UK and Ireland to then fly with a bit of freedom in the US where you can build airs pretty quickly. So I think students can get the best of both worlds, but our main thing is to, to, to roster them, to schedule so that we actually provide a cost-effective and time-effective solution for them. Because so many stories, as you know, have gone south with lack of aircraft and then that lands that means that they actually spend more money in accommodation and flights and it becomes a negative negative trip hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What do your students say afterwards? Well, we've got great, great reports. You know, we, we've got three good aircraft. Uh, we spent a lot of time getting the aircraft. Our aircraft are very low hours. We've got 801, 1,000 on the other, and we're obviously building from them with, with getting uh, with the students in, in town. So we, we maintain, it, it's very much, and I say this, we're very much, you know, a model from where I come from, Michael, you know, discipline, safety, you know, no expense spared on, on quality aircraft. And 
uh, our, even our rostering system, we find with some people that come over from the UK, they may have a business. So therefore they prefer to fly in the afternoon when business effectively is closed in the UK and Ireland. And then you got others who are happy to fly in the morning and then they can go and catch a sunset somewhere for the evening. So we roster students accordingly to what their needs are and we schedule them accordingly and we have aircraft, you know, we work the maintenance all around that. So everyone's pretty happy at the moment. Now we are expecting to grow. We know when the borders lift, there'll be an influx and we're ready to roster that and schedule them. And, and just like it, just like an airline, we're going to have difficulty with people on the ground telling us that we have to, you know, put put students into the next month instead of this month. And, and that's all part of managing a flight school. And it'll be a good problem to have. But so far, people are very happy. Typically, what what, what is 100 hours going to cost somebody if they're, if they're doing their training? Well, if you do 100 hours, so basically we, the way we work it is not everyone needs 100 hours. You know, we, we, we're well up to date on what the requirements are and what they need to keep for their multi-IR training and so on. So we don't sell hours to people that don't need them. So if it is happens to be 100 hours, our rate at the moment till the 31st of March is $139 wet. So if you put the currency difference in that as well, I think it's down to about 115 euro. So it's pretty good. It's a pretty good rate for a really top class aircraft. What we do is there are some, there's a curriculum and some profiles we have to go through that are included in, in, in the PIC time. And then we have our own standards that we add on to that. And that's mainly familiarization there for airspace and so on that and so on. Some people like to take an air aircraft away and go upstate, and that's no problem at all. Once there's no maintenance required on the aircraft, um, that's allowed to happen as long as there's no weather issues and they're not going from Florida to, say, Aspen, you know? So, you know, but we try and promote the fun part and, and also the learning part. And, you know, it's been a hard year for everyone. So for those that are over here at the moment, they're very happy to be here, but they also focus on the work, you know? And, you know, we very much have an airline you know, kind of attitude where they're going to get into a roster system. They're going to get into really strict discipline. And we try and we try and add that into their daily routine as best we can. Are all pilots given the opportunity to obviously go through things like check rides and people having a quick look at them before you, you give them your airplane for a while? Yes, everyone goes through a check ride. And uh, we have a strict curriculum. Uh, we, we call it a biennial flight review, which is a standard review for the FAA that we use. But then we add our own GFTS uh, curriculum on top of it. Now, as I said to you, these aren't extra hours. We build them into their 100 hours, so it's not extra. Uh, we're not in the business, as I said, of, of, of adding hours to students that don't need them. Um, and we, we were very efficient towards their logbook and their experience and what they go back with. So, yeah, so there is a check ride, and obviously because insurance reasons and FAA accreditation, that has to be done. But I, no one minds that because, as I said, some of the students we've got recently haven't flown in a while, so they do need brush up. But we try and factor that into the, into the PIC time as much as possible. And where do people stay? Right. Okay. That's a good question. Well, I mean, there's no bad place to stay in Florida. I mean, <laughs> stay where we are, right? Particularly in these times in the winter, as I look out in the snow here in New York. So basically people, people have a lot of options. We don't really handle the accommodation. Um, we do advise. So if a student comes over and wants to literally get his hours done, focus, do his ATPL study at nighttime. Then what we have would we provide student accommodation. So if they, if they want to come over, say, with their partner or their partner and the kids or, you know, whatever way they want to do it, if depending on time of the year and time off, et cetera, we can adjust. We can advise for, you know, a three bed to themselves in a, in a nice area. Or as I said, if it's a student on their own that just wants to get the hours done and do ATPL study or CPL study at nighttime, we can facilitate that as well. 
Now, when when the uh, PPL has built up all of this time, how is that time recognised by the IAA or IASA when they get back home? So in, in our welcome pack, we have various documentation from this side with the FAA. We expect documentation from, say, for example, the IAA if they're Ireland. We put that together because obviously they can't get their FAA accreditation until they get a documentation from their home designated country of origin. And then after that's done, we stamp their logbook. They fill in their errors. They put in the, the flight instructor that gave them the review plus the, the tail number of the aircraft. I think the IFA then will, will, will sign off on that before they leave. They do have the option to get an FAA license prior to leaving should they require that. It's something that never goes uh, out of date and, and sometimes can be, can be helpful for various uh, job occasions in the future and say the Emirates compared to America and, and whatever different uh, areas. So we don't necessarily recommend it, but it's an option. And then, as I said, they go back with their license with 100 hours stamped then towards their CPL multi-IR. What's your optimism like? I mean, a lot of people at the moment are feeling that, feeling it bad, feeling the pressure. Uh, the old resilience has been tested, particularly for people who might be furloughed in this side of the world. What's keeping you going? Uh, what's keeping me going is uh, I've looked at, I'm in aviation almost 20 years and it's got hit with 9-11, fuel prices. I was there in Ryanair when the volcano hit. And now we've got a pandemic. And a lot of my optimism comes from Ireland because you've got some great brains. You've got some great industry in aviation in Ireland between Ryanair and Michael O'Leary and Willie Walsh and you know, Papper and City Jet and Aer Lingus. And you know, you've got then all the leasing companies. And you can really see them moving and adjusting and adapting. Now, there's a lot, of course, of doom and gloom. And no, every flight school will have doom and gloom. I mean, I was in flight schools myself when, you know, fellow students were telling me my uncle's granny and knows a guy in Ryanair and, and nobody's hiring ever again. Or, you know, my uncle's in, in, in Aer Lingus and he said they're not taking in. And that's there's a lot of that out there. And there always was. But aviation always bounces back. And ironically, even though I follow the Irish businesses for, for inspiration on the ground down in Florida, they really see a big pile of shortage coming and you can see it from the government. There's a lot of money being put into safety and training in any level, be it, you know, maintenance, be it engineering, flight training, the government are sponsoring a lot of, you know, obviously U S based potential pilots, potential mechanics. They're willing to give money to help them train. And they see this coming down the line. And they would be objective now. This is just government agencies. There's not, not you know, people promoting anything. So that's always good to hear. But realistically, my core optimism comes from Ireland. I know there's a battle. There always is a battle. But people will fly and pilots will be needed. And that's what we live by. What's it like to work for Victor Costello? <laughs> It's very good to work for Victor Costello <laughs> because, you know, I tell you why I came from a team environment. Most of the people that come over from an Irish point of view, I know what they're looking for. I know what they're trying to do. I know what they're trying to achieve. Sometimes, you know, in aviation, particularly in a CPL license, not everyone can do practical and theory together. Not everyone's good at both. Now you do get them. So, you know, I was always good at the practical. I could land the aircraft. The theory, not so much, but I got there in the end. And then I realized there was more to just landing the aircraft. So it, it's a constant battle. So anyone that comes to us or has an interest in coming to us, I've been that soldier. I know what they need. I know what they need to do. And I know the road ahead of them. And it's a very, very rewarding road ahead of them. And, you know, I, I promote that. And I, I'm very positive, but I believe in the team. We have a great team on the ground. All our partners 
are based in Ireland. We've got some great partners. We've got, you know, obviously flying in Ireland, Mark, we've got ASG, we've got the Airline Pilot Club, which is Andy O'Shea and Peter Hornfield, ex Ryanair. Pilot Pat's another one. So we've got some great par- uh, partners. We're all trying, we're all Irish in the same business. We're all in it together. We, we want to get the job done. We, we, we believe in what we're doing. We're ambitious. The team in the ground, you know, it's, it's, it's great when you don't get a call on, on, on an evening at five o'clock because, you know, you just know everything's going swimmingly. And we kind of set up those structures in place from all our different, I guess, experiences in life. And uh, it hasn't been easy but it's, it's, it's certainly very rewarding. You, you mentioned a good relationship with the county where you're based. And, and I'm wondering, um, I perish the thought I'll even use the word, but does your Irishness help you at sometimes as a negotiator? <laughs> it certainly does. You know, we are doing what we said we do. We had a great idea about a year and a half ago. We're up and running now. We've got busy aircraft. We've got busy staff. There's six of us at the moment, so it's not huge. Busy CFIs. We have plans to put in a jet charter operation. We've got three hangars that you know we got planning for. They call it permits over here, not planning. And in those three hangars, we plan on putting our own flight school, uh, a, a very small MRO facility, and, and and more than likely a jet charter operation. So these hangars have got forty year leases on them. So all of that negotiation went in, and and in these hangars, we can do anything we want aviation related. So. That's been that. That is something you probably don't hear hear of in, in the UK and Ireland because of regulation and because of time, basically. But we negotiated this. They're very proactive down there. They're very pro opportunity, and we see an opportunity down here, particularly the east coast of America, to have the flight school, the the, the MRO facility, and the jet charter running in tandem. So we're we're really catching up with them. I mean, they're very positive down there. They want us to do all this. And we're trying to just grab all this opportunity as we go. But I always say, Mike, it comes back to flight training is our core business. Students getting into airlines is our core business. Everything else is ancillary, albeit great fun and great opportunity. There might be another opportunity to get a couple of Irish rusty pilots going in a couple of months' time as well. Yeah, well, look, I mean, obviously the the, the licensing requirements are different over here. In fact, before the pandemic, jet charter businesses were losing first officers hand over fist. And the idea of having a flight school beside them was a great opportunity for them. Now, they still maintain the R because jet charter operations have increased 600%. And also through licensing, and if a first officer can walk out of flight school and just get on the right seat of a citation jet with no training, or I think about a week's training. And then he does a type rating from his hours he's achieved then to go left seat. So, you know, there's, as you know, in aviation, there's, there's a huge, it's a highly regulated industry. There are loopholes, now, I'm not talking safety loopholes, of course. I'm talking, you know, regulatory loopholes. Mm-hmm. And those loopholes can allow pilots to go from a flight school into a jet and gain time prior to going back to to, uh, to the EU. If you look at, for example, the ASG, ASG, who do, do the online um, ATPL license, they managed to adapt in the pandemic by doing the ATPL license online right the way to the exams. Now, if you say to your, a US pilot flying for Southwest, you can go and you know, do get a European license. They say, no way, man, I'm not doing those ATBLs because they take ages and they're long, tough exams. But ASG, an Irish company, have made this so simple. They don't even have to leave the East Coast of America. They can just do the exams over here and then, you know, look for a job when things pick up, pick up back in Europe. So there's a lot of synergy. There's a lot of opportunity. And, you know, you talk about optimism. There's, there are jobs out there. There's opportunity out there. There's private jets out there. There's You go down to Southwest Florida and there's jet after jet coming in, you know, every 30 seconds a minute landing. 
Now, where is all this coming from? They're all coming from New York down to Florida, Florida back. You know, that's probably the way they're going over here. And we'll probably chase up behind at some stage over in Europe. So, you know, we're lucky we've, we've managed to negotiate going back to the Irish card. We played down there. We've told them, we've, we've talked and now we're walking. You know, we've talked to talk and we're now walking the walk. And, you know, we're, we're going to put a jet charter business in beside us at, at some level. You know, the two will work hand in hand. Unstoppable by the sound of it. Well, there's a lot of land down there, you know, and we're very, we're very happy that this airport's going to grow. And we know the government have big plans. And I guess in a lot of ways, they see us as, you know, believing in them and they believe in us. So, you know, if it goes back to what we first spoke about, you know, there's a lot of pushback from noises of residents and stuff. And I get that, you know, in aviation in the UK and Ireland. You know, some some counties don't like flight schools around because of the noise pollution, because of whatever it might be, regulation and land and runways and ILS and navigational aids. We don't have that, you know, and it goes far as saying the first thing we did was when we were down there was to negotiate no landing costs, no touch and go costs and no full stops. So if you walk into any flight school in the UK and Ireland, you're going to see a PPL cost you X amount plus landing fees, plus touch and goes, plus this. And it's all those pluses that add up, you know, and uh, we went down there straight away and said, listen, we want exclusivity and we don't want any fees ancillaries. And they said, fine. And, and you know, we can fly 24 hours a day down there. You, know? you can't really take Ryanair out of the man then, can you? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Did Michael well, exactly never negotiate your landing fees? <laughs> you know, that's exactly it. You know, great breeding ground. Absolute great breeding ground. Well, Victor, thanks so much for joining us on Squawk 7000. Uh, we'll put a link uh, in the programme notes to the website if people want more information, globalflighttrainingsolutions.com. Do you know what? It sounds like you're actually having a bit of crack. We are. You know, it's challenging, but rewarding. You know, it's tough times out there. And, you know, you asked me about students and the, the doom and gloom. It, it is tough times, but aviation recovers. And as I said, in my short time in aviation, I've been through fuel prices hikes. I've been through volcanoes. And now this, you know, and as I said, you know, I'm sitting here in the States. I look back in those masters of, of, of industry back in Ireland. And, you know, Ireland's a very successful country in aviation and long may, long may it will be. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Long Final from Squawk7000.ie. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and do tell your friends. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.